You are listening to Master Coaching with Ajit, a podcast that inspires coaches to impact lives of their clients more meaningfully. I am Coach Ajit, and I'm known for coaching high performers, entrepreneurs, and leaders. I'm also a serial entrepreneur and author of many books. On this podcast, I am answering your burning questions. I'm also demonstrating and deconstructing behind-the-scenes coaching sessions. One of the things that you said, which kind of stuck with me, is in 2016, you said that I'm going to send an email every yeah. morning yeah. before 6 a.m. PST. Mm-hmm. Right. That's a commitment to self, and then maybe you made that commitment public as well. Yes. So I've heard a lot of people make commitments. Mm-hmm. And I have also experienced that despite their best intentions and effort and desire to fulfill the commitment, we can sometimes fulfill our commitment. Has that happened to you? If not, what have you learned about yourself that allows you to keep such, because it's not a it's seven years, 365 days every single mm-hmm. year. 2,500 emails. 2,500 2, emails is a lot of emails. Yeah. <laughs> it is a whole book if you just printed those out. Uh-huh. And it's probably worth reading all 2,500 words or 2,500 emails there. So what do you think has kept you going to be able to stay with it? Yeah, that's a good question. I haven't missed one since I started. It's fantastic. But the experience that made the biggest difference, because I'm like everybody else, you know, I can talk myself out of doing things with very important sounding reasons. Oh, I'm sick. Oh, I'm this. I'm tired. Oh, I have so much going on my plate. And honestly, I talk myself, I have that conversation where I'm talking myself off the ledge regularly, like every couple of days. I'm like, this is, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I'm tapped out. I have nothing else to share. I've shared enough. I've done my part. How long can this go? You know, all that is happening in the back of my awareness at all times. And that's just become a part of it. You know, that's just, I feel like whatever you do, same thing with the gym, going to the gym. It's like, ah, you know, do I really have time to go to the gym? Uh, You know, how much can you lift? Does it ever end? Mm -hmm. And it's just always in the back of the mind. Same with in relationships. Like, oh, I'm done with this. This is, I can get somebody else, you know, da, da, da. She doesn't appreciate me. Mm -hmm. But you keep showing up. The reward is in, not giving yourself an out, but the reward is in overcoming that resistance. And the thing that made the difference was reading Stephen Pressfield's book, The War of Art. Mm. So The War of Art is all about overcoming resistance. And Mm. he breaks it down super simply. He says, look, you're either an amateur, in which case you let yourself off the hook, or you're professional. And professionals don't let themselves off the hook. And professionals face a lot of the same excuses and push back that amateurs face, except the only difference is they go forward anyway. And when I read that book, which you can read like in a couple of hours and just really took that framework in, it really made a difference. And I started thinking about that because he gives so many examples. In fact, he was one of the inspirations for how this book is laid out because that book is just, each page is an individual story. They're not necessarily connected, although there's a through line in overcoming resistance in every conceivable type of situation. And so this one is the same thing. You can crack it open anywhere and start reading it. And it's a through line about spiritual minimalism. But yeah, that made a big difference. And fortunately, I had a friend who had just written a script. He's a Hollywood actor. He had just written a script. I bumped into him at Whole Foods in Venice. And we did the whole what you're up to conversation because I taught him how to meditate several years before. And I said, yeah, I'm trying to finish my book. It was my first book, which was a self-published book. 
And I've been working on it for like two and a half, three years at that point. And I was just so tired of thinking about it. And he said, dude, you got to get this book, The War of Art. It helped me. I was still going through the same thing with my screenplay. And it, I read it in an afternoon and then I was able to finish it. And so I got it that day, same thing, read it. And then I was able to just power through it or at least put myself in a position to finish it. There, there's a whole other story related to that if you want to go into it, but I ended up finishing that book. And I just think about that ever since. Say somebody sees themselves as an amateur. Mm-hmm. And I say that because while people who listen to our podcast mm-hmm. tend to be wildly successful in many other ways, they are individuals who are transitioning to a career of impact. Mm-hmm. Like they have usually made their money or are comfortable in life. They don't necessarily have to work. Yeah. Like they can, but they don't have to. Like they're not necessarily like, you know, they're yeah. okay. Their they're okay in life. Met. They're they're okay in life. They live in comfortable places. They have comfortable incomes or have made money in the past. And so they can take care of themselves and their families. But there's a calling. There is a voice in their head that has told them all the time. I want to do something greater than myself. I don't want to just give to myself and my family, but I want to give to the world. And they have the qualities to do so, yet they see themselves as amateurs because this is something new they're doing. This is something that is, they don't know what to even do as the first step sometimes. And while it's easy for individuals like us who have done the journey and now we go, well, it's obvious what the first step is. (laughs) To them, it's the world. Mm -hmm. What would you say, apart from, of course, picking up the book, The War of Art, what would you suggest the person that sees themselves as an immature and wants to be that professional in the field as to how do we start to view ourselves or what are some of the practices that you may recommend, whatever it may be that comes present to you? Yeah, I think that one of the things that we think is stopping us is discipline. We don't have the discipline, especially if you're comfortable and you don't need to do it. So there's a tendency to treat whatever it is the impact activity is like a hobby And, oh, I'll do it when I have time because that's how we treat hobbies. But it's not actually discipline that we're lacking. And I put myself in that category. It's honesty. It's honesty. So we can be disciplined to the extent that we can be honest with ourselves. And the honesty can start with, I'm probably not going to do it as often as I think I'm going to do it. So then maybe I need to put a stopgap in place because I know that that's going to be the motivating difference for me, right? And so this actually ties into the extension of the self-published book story. So I've been dragging my feet, starting and stopping for three and a half years with my book, The Inner Gym. And I just got tired of lying to myself. I got tired of telling myself, oh, I'm going to do it. I'm going to wake up at six o'clock. I'm going to you know, stay up all night and finish it in the next three weeks or whatever. And I said, okay, let me just put myself in a situation I can't get out of. And so I reached out to Drew Puruit, our friend. And because, you know, Drew has done well for himself. And I knew Drew didn't need the money. (laughs) (laughs) You don't want to do this with somebody who needs the money. (laughs) And I drew up a contract between myself and Drew saying that I am committing to finishing this book by such and such date, which was like two months from that conversation I was having with myself. And if I don't finish it at this date, if I don't have manuscript completely ready to upload to the Kindle platform or whatever it was, you are obligated to take this check that I've written in your name for $4,000 and spend it on anything that has nothing to do with me. 
And at the time, this is 2014, $4,000 was a lot of money for me. I couldn't afford to lose that kind of money. And that's why I chose that amount. It's because I needed an amount that was going to get my attention. If I had said $400, eh, you know, it, it wouldn't mm. be ideal to lose $400, but I mean, it wasn't going to be the end of the world. But 4000 I needed that to pay my rent. Mm-hmm. So I was honest enough with myself to say, it has to be more than 400 more than 1000 more than 2000 And then I finally got to that number, 4000 I was like, okay, that's scary. That's a scary number if I lose that money. And I gave it to Drew and he signed the contract and that was it. And then after that, all the time that I didn't have freed up. And I started working on it day and night. And I ended up finishing it like a week early, just in case anything unexpected happened health-wise, because I didn't want to take that chance. And I was like, oh, this is not about discipline. It's just about being honest. It is about being honest, absolutely. So I would say to your listeners who are in that situation, get more honest with yourself and put yourself in a situation where you can't lose. You can't not do the thing you say you're going to do because whatever you're going to lose is worse than whatever time you have to make to do the thing. Absolutely. I want to add more further steps to what I'm hearing. What I'm hearing also is you found what will get you to be more honest in the sense of getting somebody else to hold you accountable Yes, as well. Not just you telling yourself, hey, I'll donate these $4,000 to something. You said, no, it's going to work better if I... Because I, I would, I would somebody, come up with an excuse not to do it. Yeah, it's like, oh, listen, I was sick. So of or course, to do it in some way <laughs> yeah. that makes me look good. You know? Yeah, exactly. So I like that because you also, I feel like you had a great understanding of self mm-hmm. where you said, okay, I know I will find an excuse yep. if I did this with just myself. Yep. So I'm going to risk this big amount, which is mm-hmm. as much as my rent for a month, to motivate myself to be doing this thing because there's a research that's done that most people in the world, I think about 86% of the people in the world are externally accountable or externally motivated than internally motivated. Uh, I might be using the term wrong, but we don't do things for ourselves. About 14% of us can hold ourselves accountable, but 86% of us need somebody else to hold us accountable. My percentages are sometimes off, but something to that I never had any contact with Drew that whole time. You know, that was what I needed to do for myself. And some people may hear that and they go, oh, that sounds very punitive. Mm -hmm. It's my goal that I Mm -hmm. set for myself. Mm -hmm. Drew didn't say, you have to finish this book. No, Mm -hmm. I set the timeline. So you have to set yourself a timeline. If you choose to perform this experiment, set yourself a timeline. You need a hard deadline so that you know that there's some completion to it. And it can be as long as you need it to be, right? But the thing is, getting to the finish line in any endeavor, in any realm of life, is going to be difficult. It's going to be challenging. You're not going to want to do the things that it requires. And I've had enough life experience at this point to realize that. Whether you want to get into the best shape of your life, whether you want to clean up your diet, whether you want to you know, uh, move or become a nomad or whatever it is, there's a part of that experience that's going to be very difficult to confront. And that's the point where we start talking ourselves out of it. And, you know, James Dyson, the the guy who invented the Dyson vacuum cleaner, Mm -hmm. he was on How I Built This podcast. It was a really wonderful interview. How I Built This is all about entrepreneurs and how they overcame obstacles to build their companies. And he tells this wonderful anecdote when the guy asks, you know, do you credit your success with luck or what do you credit it with or hard work? He says, there's this experience I had when I was in track in high school and I used to run cross country and I noticed that 
I would get tired at the same point every time. But then I'd look around and everybody else was tired too. So I specifically trained myself at that point when I was the most tired to accelerate. Hmm. So my race didn't even start until I got to that point where I got tired and wanted to give up. And he says, because everybody else also wanted to give up at that point, if you could train yourself to accelerate at that point, knowing it's coming, Mm -hmm. you'll win every time. Mm. And that's how he approached business. So I'm hearing three pointers. First is honesty. Second is accountability, internal, external, whatever that might be. Third is training yourself Mm -hmm. to push yourself further, wherever that is, whatever that means for anyone and everyone. And lastly, would you say there is some role of maintaining a kind of an outcome or a motive to take action or a chase? Because I hear that you had, yes, you need to finish your book. Well, why did you need to finish your book? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, you definitely need the why. Yeah. The why behind the whole thing. But I think if you're having that conversation for years and years, the why is kind of built into the process. That's why you're having the conversation. So Mm -hmm. yes, getting clear about that, getting clear about the impact that you can have. And I'll tell you another story that kind of goes further along Let's say the book came out and then maybe four years later, I go to Justa in Venice mm-hmm. to get some food after working out one day at, the, at Gold's Gym. Mm-hmm. And the guy who took my order, he goes, you're like Watkins, right? I was like, yeah. He goes, I'm reading your book, The Inner Gym, right now. Oh. And I was like, oh, really? Oh, what chapter are you on? He told me what chapter he was on. And we had a little talk about it. And, you know, it felt so great to be recognized and appreciated for something that was a big endeavor for myself. And on my way back home, I started thinking about all the resistance that I had when I was in the process of writing that book and not wanting to finish it and coming up with excuses. And I contrasted that with this conversation I just had with this person who got so much benefit from it. And I started to send the younger me a reminder to keep going and to not give up and that the world is going to appreciate the things that you're putting into it now. And I think that when we're feeling the resistance, there's also a part of us that hears or feels encouragement, inspiration. You know, if we can get quiet enough to tap into that, or maybe it's the voice that tells us to start doing it in the first place. I think... And this is just my own opinion, right? Based on my own experiences. I think that is a part of our future self having already accomplished the thing, reflecting back fondly on those days when we were experiencing the most resistance. And so I think it's all kind of happening at the same time. And we can tap into that. We can tap into that that energy of having done the thing and we can use that as motivation to keep moving forward because it's just a little quiet reminder that what you're working on now, especially if it's something that feels aligned with your heart and it lights you up inside, I think that it's going to be a positive impact to the world. And if you can just stay trained on that, it can give you just a little bit extra motivation to keep going. So tell me more about this little reminder from the future self. Mm-hmm. I think it's an interesting thing to discover. 
in an interesting exploration. And I'm hoping all of us experience something like that. How did that discovery, what's this intuition that's telling you? How would that experience be like for someone? Or how has it been for you? There's usually two qualities of voices that we hear. Mm-hmm. Now, within those two qualities, there could be a myriad of dozens of voices. Mm-hmm. And so in one category, you have voices giving you reasons why you shouldn't do it. And then the other category, you may hear reasons why you should keep doing it. And the voices telling you why you shouldn't, they tend to have more certainty, more pragmatism attached to those reasons because you're running out of money, because you're too old, because nobody cares, because you're not smart enough, you know, the imposter mm-hmm. syndrome, da 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 da. And the other one is more aspirational. Mm-hmm. Because you have to, because this could become a bestseller, because, you know, mm-hmm. and if you lock in on the aspirational voices, it can make you sound a bit delusional, a bit naive, a bit like you're gullible. That's mm-hmm. why they say listening to your heart makes you gullible. Mm-hmm. But I would argue that listening to your heart actually makes you bold in action because it makes you take a leap of faith in a direction where there is no guaranteed certainty. But you have a sense of fulfillment, you have a sense of expansion in the process of doing it. Like It has to stretch you into a greater version of yourself in order to move in that direction. In the same way that when you go to the gym, like nobody goes to the gym to be comfortable. You go to the gym to grow, to get stronger. And in order to do that, you need resistance. And the resistance is not going to feel great when you're doing it. But when you get that pump at the end of the workout, you feel like a freaking superhero. And so you can get a spiritual pump by taking that leap of faith. And it could just be, I'm going to work on this book or I'm going to work on my podcast or I'm going to work on this script tonight instead of sitting in my bed scrolling through Instagram for two hours or watching TV for two hours. I'm going to spend that two hours working on the thing. And you always feel better. You get that pump, that spiritual pump after investing that time and meeting that resistance and doing the thing that you said you were going to do and showing up for yourself. So it's in those moments where, again, deep, deep, deep in the back of your mind, something is urging you to just just do it. Work on your stuff. You've been saying you want to do it. Just do it. The world is going to be better if you do this. And I, I argue that's your future self. And I think I want to frame it in a way that as how I am hearing it is when you hear why it wouldn't work, it's your mind telling you why something doesn't work based on all the data it has. Your ego. So it's your ego, your mind telling you this is how it has always been and this Mm -hmm. is the projection of it into the future, which is not so constructive just because it's based off the past. It has nothing to do with what is actually the possibility of the future. And the positive, affirmative, more aspirational voice that you hear is not the data of the past, it's the data and that's it. It's the voice from your soul, which means it's the heart, it's the soul. It's the information that has not yet been presented, but it's the knowing. It is the known versus the knowing, if I have to frame it in a different way. The known is your past, and so it'll always tell you limitations, whereas the knowing is something that is not yet being seen, so it'll always be delusional and aspirational and yeah. and something that is to be discovered because it's not being discovered just yet. So I think that's how I am hearing it, and I think it makes so much sense yeah. to lean into rather difficult, like you said, the pump's going to be hard, the resistance is going to be hard, but rather uncomfortable but very meaningful 
And you do get the term. pump. You get that yeah. pump in real time once, once you, you finish do doing the thing that you said yeah. you were going to do. Even if it's just a small little thing, I call them a hop of faith. Yeah. Don't I get the leap of faith is too scary. Just take a hop. Just work yeah. on the thing for an hour. Yeah. Just make a call. Just send an email. Just research something, you know? Yeah. You don't have to get your whole blog up and, you know, 18 posts. Just do one post. You started writing Travel Light. Of course, it's something that led you to believe that we are in a path where we are taking everything spiritual. Mm-hmm. And you suggested from the title of the book, which is Travel Light, Spiritual Minimalism, to live a more fulfilled life. How did you come to this? place where you said, I think maybe the world needs the message of <laughs> minimizing the amount of spirituality that we are leaning into or types that we are leaning into? Well, having written three other books, I start in writing Daily Dose of Inspiration email. I started seeing my life experiences through the lens of storytelling and particularly through books in the same way that if I was a filmmaker, I would probably think, oh, this would be a great film. Or if I was a choreographer, oh, this would be a great you know, theme for a dance or ballet or something like that. So I started minimizing my life in 2018. I moved out of my two-bedroom place in Venice and I moved into a carry-on bag. And I started traveling around, probably circled the globe three times in the the next few years before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And I was sort of forced, I put myself again in a committed situation where I could only carry what I had in my bag. And I scaled down from a carry-on that I could put in the overhead compartment to a backpack, a day pack, because I realized I had too much stuff in the carry-on. And that may sound odd, like, what do you mean you have too much stuff in the carry-on? Because you're carrying things around with you, everything you own, you're carrying around with you everywhere you go. Mm -hmm. So it's heavy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And you know, people, there's this thing called the Pacific Crest Trail, which is a, it's a hiking trail from Mexico to Canada. It goes up through California, Oregon, and Washington. It takes six months to do it. And you walk an average of about 22 miles a day. And people who walk this trail, they'll start off with all their gear. And then a couple of days in, they're shaving their toothbrush down in half because it's just, I don't need this extra weight of this extra <laughs> toothbrush. Because you're carrying everything with you on your back every day, those 22 miles. And it just gets a bit laborious. So yeah, I started being more intentional about, okay, do I really need this? Do I really need this extra pair of shoes? Do I really need this extra sweater? And paring down, paring down. And then I learned how to hand wash my clothes and that was a game changer. And so then it became this fun little experiment to see how little I could go with while giving keynotes, being on panels, dating, you know, and doing all the normal things without looking like I was living out of a backpack. I didn't want to look Mm -hmm. like it. I wanted to look like, you know, I was fashionable and all the things. So yeah, and then my book mind kicked in and said, oh, this would be a great book. You know, I'm Mm -hmm. doing all these things. And there was a moment where, again, I was hand washing my clothes. I had also developed this sort of minimal workout routine, just calisthenics. So... (laughs) I was like, okay, how can I stack these habits? And I found myself one day in the shower with my clothes on, Mm -hmm. doing air squats. (laughs) Okay. And I was like, people have to know about this. And counting the air squats with affirmations. Uh So those are four different practices. Washing your clothes while you're taking a shower, while you're exercising, while you're praying, basically, affirmative praying. 
And yeah, and so that became, I didn't have the outline or anything, but that was the catalyst for sitting down and really thinking through the principles and uh, how I can make this accessible for people in real life. So that's minimalism or were you optimizing for time? Both. That was minimalism because I still was living out of a carry-on bag, but... No, but the whole practice of doing air squats while washing your clothes while taking a shower. All of it. All of it. The way I define minimalism is doing more with less. Okay. Doing more with less. And spiritual is informing it from the inside out, Mm. informing your action from the inside out. So when I talk about it in the book, I'm very open about the fact that this is not about you being in the shower with your clothes on doing air squats while affirmative praying. Your version of that may be starting that blog you've been talking about, or it may be moving from New York to LA or Mm. whatever's on your heart. Mm-hmm. And taking that leap of faith and or if you don't have the courage to do that, just follow your curiosity. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the principles. And it's not about emulating my path. Everyone has their own path. And mm-hmm. it could be starting a company with 500 employees and being responsible for you know all those salaries. Anything that scares you, but you can't stop thinking about it, taking a step in that direction. And that's mm-hmm. your path towards spiritual minimalism. What does it mean to follow your curiosity? So a lot of times I'll write about finding your purpose and I'll get a flurry of emails. Oh, I don't know what my purpose is. I feel lost. I feel aimless, da, 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 da. And I remember meeting this woman once who was asking me really good questions in our little casual interaction. And I said, Mm -hmm. oh, you'd be a great podcast host. Have you ever thought about doing a podcast? Mm -hmm. She goes, yeah, I think I'd be a good host too. I go, why don't you do one? Oh, I can never do a podcast. I said, Mm -hmm. why not? I only have 300 followers. Mm -hmm. So in her mind, she was incapable of becoming a podcast host because of her 300 followers. And she felt like she needed to have, you know, thousands upon thousands of followers to be able to take that next leap of faith in the thing that she was already naturally curious about. And that's what we do. We'll talk ourselves out of doing the things that we're naturally curious about because we don't think we have what it takes. And so Mm. the spiritual minimalism framework is follow your curiosity. Just follow it shamelessly. Don't worry about how it's all going to come together. Who knows? No one can tell you how it's going to come together. Probably the resources that you're going to need aren't even going to reveal themselves to you until you take a few steps in that direction. You know, just go to one of the podcast host platforms, pay your little $20 a month, put your iPhone on the table, click record on the voice recorder and just have a conversation and see what happens. You know, I had a friend of mine who started a YouTube channel seven years ago and he was going back and forth in his mind. Oh, I don't have the equipment. I don't have this. I don't have that. And finally he said, you know what? I'm just going to get out my phone and I'm going to record myself and I'm going to upload it. And he did that. And he said, after he posted his first video, a friend of his called him and said, hey man, I've got this $1,800 camera. I'm not using, you take it. I know I heard you started a YouTube channel. So you take Mm -hmm. the camera and use it. And that's what he started using for his for his channel. Now he's got three quarters of a million subscribers Man. on YouTube Man. and making a full-time living off of that. But he would not have started had he not just taken out his phone and just gotten, you know, gotten that first scary step out of the way. What is it that if you were to just give us cliff notes or something as a <laughs> reminder that you want to give to the listeners, what would that be? So the book is broken down into seven principles. First one is establish a contact with your inner voice, your inner guidance through meditation, ideally, because that's just the most efficient way to do it. 
Number two, start making your most important decisions from your heart and not from your head. It doesn't mean make all your decisions from your heart, but the most important ones. Am I going to be with this person or that person? Am I going to live here or there? Am I going to work here or there? Your head is really great at figuring out the details. Okay, where Mm. do I need to order flowers from for the date? Where do I need to make reservations? Things like that. And then number three, treat life like there are no throwaway moments. Number four, give what you want to receive. Number five, follow curiosity. Number six, find comfort and discomfort because when you're following your curiosity, you're going to get pushed back from the world. So you have to be cool with that discomfort. And then number seven, eventually you will have to embrace the freedom of choicelessness, which is where you paint yourself into a corner, you commit to something that you are going to move in that direction and allow that to become the editor for everything else in your life. Beautiful. Simple seven steps, but profound wisdom that is between those pages. So highly recommended, invite you to check out Travel Light. It's a very quick read. Yeah, three-hour audio. Three-hour audio, very quick listen. That's probably how I'll finish it. These are just great reminders. Like mm-hmm. just the cliff notes, I'm like, wow, I want to listen and dive deep into it. Thank you so much for taking the time, Light. Is there an online place where people can follow you? Just go to my website, lightwatkins.com. That's the hub. You'll see everything there. Social media is at Light Watkins and uh, places to order the book, which is available everywhere. Amazing. So go ahead and check that out. We'll leave that in the show notes. So thank you so much for listening in today. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks for having me, man.